Well, let's uh, let's roll into I it. Feel like anything that I just said was cutesy for you to use. <laughs> I don't always put stuff because we don't always have now it. Now you're gonna put that there. We might be no able to grab. You're gonna. I said cutesy, so you're definitely gonna use cutesy, that. Cutesy, yeah. That is a hard one to not use. That's uh, <laughs> it's not an everyday word for yeah, a grown play, man. Play the um, damn song. I don't. I don't have it on here, so we're gonna <laughs> skip the song. <laughs> that we're back on the stack john and joe inside performance pickleball rva for another great episode a fantastic guest uh coming to your way linda vett is here she's going to talk about what she's going to do uh here with inside performance pickleball but how it all started uh in terms of uh her background and also talking about the beginner level you know we've got some really heavy hitting pros on this podcast but we haven't really talked about the majority of the pickleball world which is that beginner to three five uh area so i I, um, i'm looking forward to our listeners hearing more uh from her here in a a few moments but before we get into some national headlines john in the skinny let's talk about tomorrow's uh first of its kind kind of one day community driven event the caritas paddle battle sold out uh, a week ago in terms of the the registrations but for people who may not have listened to the the past podcast. Can you remind them how this will be structured? Because I think it still kind of gets people like a one day event. How is that going to work? Yeah, and you can sit here and look at the smile on my face. People can't see it, uh, but I'm just so happy with the way things have come together uh, for this one day format. It was, it is the culmination of sitting uh, over in the food hall a few months ago with nothing but ideas and not not and thinking we had an idea of this could work, this will work, um, and then having to take the risk of going out and taking it to market, not knowing actually how it would play out in terms of player interest and demand and feasibility. And the culmination of that in terms of how Tyen was able to set it up from a bracket perspective, how many players were going to be able to allow to enjoy it tomorrow. Uh, and what I know, like I know enough from seeing the schedule and who's playing uh, and all of those things. I already know what the day is going to be like from a spirit perspective. And I also know how much money we've already raised for Caritas uh, before we even let people in the door um, and add to that with the percentage give back off food and beverage that we're, that we'll be making to that donation as well. Um, and, you know, you got to have the humility to say, I thought of this idea and it sucked and it didn't work. And trust me, there have been more of those than people know mm-hmm. uh, for us along the way. Uh, me in particular, because I like to just throw things out and then you guys can tell me it's stupid uh, <laughs> and they don't get out of the starting gate. But this one I was pretty adamant I felt like could work. Where to our previous conversations about the proliferation of tournaments and are there too many and uh, what is the breaking point for how many people will play and all of those things and how many times can you do it in your facility and shut down the entire facility and tick off the members, uh, which it does if they're not playing with it and rightfully so, you know, Mm -hmm. you have access and then you don't. And um, so, you know, we got to um, a formula of what we thought that that should be. And for us, um, we didn't feel like we had the right to shut the facility down more than once every two months for a three-day event. 
but that also so six tournaments a year and for us that's become our five it's become the resolution that's already happened uh the ladybug will be the next of those the body armor which will be dual site event at pouncey tract uh the dog days duel and the fall fracas and then we added the duper um super regionals to that uh as the sixth one and that doesn't stagger exactly two months because when duper wanted to do that and that's just a pill that we took because it's worth it and yeah. we love working with duper mm-hmm. but then i also said you know, we had all, and I, you know, I run a nonprofit, obviously, my wife and I do, as you know, and we had a lot of excitement in the nonprofit community. They discovered what we discovered with the Ladybugs, which is pickleball is a fantastic community uh, event, which makes great nonprofit events, charitable causes, things like that. Uh, we had so many people reach out to us from different uh, nonprofits and say, we want to run a pickleball tournament. But they were largely in the position where I was, and you'll hear me talk about it with Lynn later on this episode, where the concept of running a pickleball tournament is fantastic. The actual running of a pickleball tournament is remarkably intricate and requires Tyann Wynn and Christina Shiflett and logistics. And when we were doing them outside, county collaboration um, and God's collaboration on weather and all Mm -hmm. of those different things. Um, And it's generally over three days. And if it's not, then the more serious players are not going to play because, you know, there's no need for them to. There's another three-day event somewhere else. Um, So what can we do about that? How can we try to benefit? You know, we're never going to be able to benefit every cause. I wish uh, that I had the magic wand and could do that, Um, but I can't. But we we could try to devise something new that could do that. Obviously, for us, it can't be a, a complete financial um, dump of the day. And so we devised a flat venue fee system uh, for those nonprofits at a price point that we felt like they could uh, they could make and still make a lot of money off the day as their donation or their raise for their particular cause um, and said, what? You know, how can we pack that into one day? And what would the time frame be? And, and if in this time frame, uh, what is the max number of players that you can have? And at that max number of players, what is the registration fee that you would need to charge to get above that venue fee? Then how can you add to that? The answer being sponsorships. And, you know, these are not novel ideas in yeah. fundraising. They're just novel in terms of pickleball. So anyway, um what it became was you got to cut singles uh, immediately, unfortunately, uh, which is Friday, generally, those three-day right. tournaments because um, it just takes up too much of your time and into that equation uh, just doesn't work. Um, but you want gender doubles and you want mixed doubles. So yeah. that's basically the way it's going to work. Men's and women's doubles in the morning followed by mixed doubles. And a number of people are going to play both events. Uh, our events, of course, feature uh, a lot of games, a lot mm-hmm. more, you know, pretty much the maximum amount of games that you can uh, schedule-wise in that format. And uh, they're willing to do that. And then we simplified it a little bit, which uh, I think is going to happen more and more in pickleball with all of this. Uh, it's 19 plus. It's 35 plus, and they've already straightened out of that. You know, it's 30 plus, 40 plus. There's still too many, way too many divisions. There's mm-hmm. not that many divisions in athleticism in life if right. you're not a professional athlete. So we just did 50 plus and 49 minus, and that was Tyen's uh, idea uh, to simplify that bracket and uh, not take any of the excitement or competition out of it. Because yeah. in a lot of cases, you know, like I played tournaments with Lee. I'm younger than Lee. Mm-hmm. He uh, has to play down uh, in terms of the age division. And you know I've done that where I've played with a partner where I had to play down yeah. against the 19-year-olds, and there is that line of delineation. But anyway, 
it's all come together. Uh, the enthusiasm, the interest was there. Big tip of the cap to Caritas for helping us uh, with the messaging and with the promotion to get that done because, I'll be frank, we have not had the time to uh, put forth the promotional push and the graphic design and the messaging and the social and all those things that we usually do behind our events. So I'm doubly happy that it's sold out because of that. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I'm really excited to see how it plays out also for the, the future of this concept. Uh, we're Obviously, we're going to have more of these single-day events. We've talked about them ad nauseum on the podcast. Uh, but if there is a way to provide a performance pickleball uh, style of doing things beyond just hosting matches and, and rec league inside of a facility, this is one way to do that. This can be replicable uh, to potentially to other facilities and, and uh, tournaments around the country. Let's talk about something fantastic in the pickleball world. ESPN is involved in both of these notes, so I'm going to bunch them together. Uh, just a quick note about Pro Pickleball taking the number one spot on the top ten for the first time ever. They, there's been times even our own JMA has been in the top ten uh, on, on SportsCenter before for great plays. But uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, you you probably aren't listening to this podcast because people people in the, in, that are that love pickleball have already seen this. Uh, James Ignatowicz, amazing uh, Belgian backhand, which is where your forehand becomes your backhand across your body. Uh, ATP down the line for uh, the point winner. Phenomenal uh, point. There was a lot of great uh, points and moments from this past weekend, by the way. But big for the sport of pickleball anytime you can milk the, the national stage. That is ESPN. And speaking of that, on the same day that that uh, happened, it was a pickleball slam, too. Uh, the second iteration of the Pickleball Slam, where some tennis legends make the transition to the pickleball world and put it on the national stage. And in addition to seeing things like John McEnroe sporting the owl paddle, because he's all in on this company and their uh, quiet paddle, it seems. Uh, we had Steffi Graf, who's Andre Agassi's wife. Maria Sharapova also involved. Uh, Agassi and Graf with a cool million-dollar win. It's the largest pickleball earnings ever made in one day, also, by the way. But beyond that, you and I, especially you, went to the, you even went to Facebook to tell people about this. Uh, the production quality is right off of piggybacking what we talked about last week with why people aren't watching pickleball. ESPN comes in and just shows you what can be done with the right budget and, and the right uh, can-do attitude to uh, showcase how difficult this sport really can be at a high level. Hold on, Joe. Let me rewind a little bit. But did you just say, and as if it was coincidental on the same day, it was number one, we also did primetime programming and pickleball <laughs> in your broadcasting background? You didn't think there was some intentionality there, there from been, uh, there ESPN? There might have been. Yeah, there might have been. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's awesome. I've seen a number of plays on top ten that probably should have been number one. That shot was great, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is. We got lucky last week, Joe, <laughs> in terms of the timing of that conversation. I should say I got lucky that you brought it up. Uh, you smartly positioned <laughs> it, and I got lucky and stumbled into it. Um, and I, I said last episode that ESPN is the tastemaker. Until they're biting, then none of the other stuff takes off. Yeah. It was awesome for pickleball mm -hmm. because it shows – the first pickleball slam showed that they understood that pickleball was a thing, and that was them dipping a toe. And I thought the first pickleball slam sucked. <laughs> uh, and the reason that it sucked was because none of the players were that good right. in terms of uh, being high-level players. 
But it was it was awful. Like it wasn't it, was. it wasn't fun pickup. Mac and Rose antics and were the highlights. Like when they weren't people weren't even showing. They were like, the highlights were him yelling about kitchen calls as opposed to actual plays the first time around. Yeah, and I it, right, and that's and it, it rightly so it annoyed pickleball people. Right. Like we're like, oh cool, pickleball's on, and then you watch, and it's like we've seen with some other things, like Good Morning America. Here's a pickleball segment with the. <laughs> You know, these paddles that are terrible and mm-hmm. players that it's never seemed to play before, and they just heard buzzword pickleball and decided to do a segment on it. Right. Um, <laughs> anyway, that wasn't ESPN actually showing an interest in pickleball. That was ESPN trying to capitalize on pickleball's popularity, what they did. So what I took away, what I was exceptionally excited about coming out of the second iteration of it was a couple of things. Uh, more than a couple of things, actually, all of them positive for pickleball. Uh, one, Agassi and uh, McEnroe clearly have become invested in the game in terms of playing it, getting better at it. I thought their growth as players was night and day, mm-hmm. uh, particularly Agassi. Uh, McEnroe's hands are exceptional, of course, but Agassi, the dink angles and you know the strategy he was attempting to play, um, you know, it was advanced. And then I thought in the last match, the only drawback was that Maria Sharapova clearly hasn't been playing pickleball nearly as long. She's just as big of a name, as, if not as accomplished as some of those players mm-hmm. uh, like Steffi. But regardless, uh, even as a, you know, her kind of being the weaker link in that game, it was still able to be packaged as a competitive game. And it wasn't the highest high level because that's Ben Johns and those guys right. and gals. But uh, it was a much higher level. But what excited me was what you brought it up. I never even thought of it as a conversation topic last week of, you know, why wouldn't viewership be up? I thought the first three we said was obvious. I thought the last one, and I actually kind of just was thinking in my mind, you know, why is that? And then why don't I watch pickleball? And I don't watch a ton of pickleball, honestly, until you put it on my TVs out here. And then (laughs) as I'm eating lunch, I watch it. But um, And the reason is even if I'm attempting to watch pickleball – the game just kind of lulls me to sleep a little bit because it's not because of the reasons it was where it's just dink, 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 dink. It was because they make it look so easy uh, and the TV doesn't keep up. And I gave you the analogy or the TV doesn't accurately display the level of difficulty. So what I loved what ESPN did and unfortunate, the unfortunate reality is, is they have a lot more money to do it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I love it. I'm like, man, I wish we could do that. No chance. We're anywhere <laughs> close to doing it right. here at performance pickleball. They used a modified version of the sky cam and had the overhead view, but they also did a much better job of understanding the game and when they should transition from baseline to sky cam to yes. net line to the slash cam. Um, and what that provided was, that's what allowed me to see that Agassi had gotten so much better. And I'm talking about angles on dinks mm-hmm. and him mm-hmm. changing feet on opponents and, you know, the alleys that he or she, you know, it wasn't just Agassi, were seeing and attempting and why it got shut down. And then the overhead view really gave you a sense of the speed of the hand battles and the speed of the firefights and, and those things at the net. But I thought it was a, a, a real lesson in, in how to do that and, you know, an advancement for the sport mm-hmm. um, and an understanding. But the, and the, the biggest positive is that <laughs> ESPN gets that. So when they do that and they throw something out there as a promotion like that and they put it as number one on the top ten, mm-hmm. uh, it means this is a teaser, something big is coming. Yeah. And I don't have any knowledge of what that is or where they're at with uh, negotiations. But my guess is they are well down the road with the MLP in terms of a broadcast right deal. Uh, for some of these teams that we now know are going to be in geographical cities and locations. Right. Uh, they're more than likely about to announce uh, 
this is going to be on every Sunday this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Again, I have no idea. But there, it's it's leading to something. It was not a one-off event like the first one was. Agreed. I think it's definitely a stepping stone to something positive for the sport, whether that's just better broadcasts or more uh, involvement by ESPN for sure. And I, I, I want to end on this. I know we've been on it for a little bit here, but I just want to end on a point you made that I totally agree with because I find myself yelling at the TV or the computer a lot about this. A lot of times it's not about the equipment you do or don't have. It's the way that you're producing the broadcast. And, yes, ESPN showed that they know how to cover sports and they know when you should change certain cameras uh, based on what's going on in the game. Too often, whether it's PPA or uh, Tuesday Night Pickleball uh, there at the Orchard in Arizona, I don't know what's going through their mind. They're just in a, in a templated um, this is the the structure in which we go from this camera, this camera, this camera. But the game doesn't act that way. The game is not structured uh, like a template. So you need to be able to to pivot when the moment arises. And and ESPN did that. I know they had extra some extra cameras maybe, but regardless, whoever was producing it, how, however many people were doing it, they knew that you had to stay on your toes and and that way uh you were changing with the game and feeling like you were as a viewer you didn't know what was coming up next and you shouldn't honestly you shouldn't know what's coming next uh and i'm also glad that agassi and graf played well considering the investment they made in the duper um <laughs> a, a few weeks ago so yeah. that's good uh they, they're showing that they're invested beyond uh, there are pocketbooks and wallets as well. Last thing here in the skinny, it's become uh, the fatty at this point, uh, not skinny. With all, Longest all of these. episode ever. I'm talkative today. Yeah, it's good. We had two interviews before uh, we got in here. That's right, folks. We're planning ahead uh, as well. That was so more accidental great. than anything. But. It worked out fantastic. Uh, last thing, <laughs> and it goes back to something that we, some things that we've talked about before on this show uh, about the service rule and the new balls, and this is all PPA specific. So Tyson McGuffin goes on to social media makes three quick points, things that he wants to see changed after two PPA events, get rid of the new service rule. I think a lot of pros are sharing that because it seems so arbitrary, but certainly someone like him who is, has always been close to that line of waist, belly button, wherever the, the ball is being hit, uh, certainly doesn't want to change his powerful Ferrari forehand serve for that. He also said to get rid of the Vulcan ball. He did not specify why. He just said get rid of Vulcan ball. So he is a Yola athlete. They have a ball. I don't know where that's coming from. But the biggest one is he would like the PPA to keep the progressive draw for every tournament. And this is stemming from his experience as a singles player. The first tournament they had the progressive draw, again, one match a day. Um, so it's a longer week for the players, but they're getting more rest from singles because they're playing one singles match and then they would go to mixed or gender doubles and and then down on the mix whatever it might be he played 10 singles matches in one day and he he felt that in his words he felt 60 to 70 percent was all he could give on mixed doubles day which is not fair to his partner or the fans and it goes to what you mentioned the reason for having the the benefit of having progressive to begin with is for the players themselves their bodies they're going to feel a lot better each day because they're not playing as many matches if they're continuing to win each day but it is worth noting at least in the comments section and some from some actual players this is not something that works all the way across the board the ppa can do it sure if these players don't have full-time jobs they can get off all week 
and spend money on hotels, whatever, that's fine. But it's important to note that just because Tyson said it, it doesn't mean that everybody has to do this now. And uh, the average person shouldn't expect the next tournament they go play in is going to be starting on Tuesday. Uh, We know that you have work and things like that. So those are the things that are out there. That's what people are talking about now. Uh, I wanted to know if you had any thoughts on all three or just the one at the end, considering performance's role as a tournament host as well. Yeah, I think I've already laid out my thoughts on why or why not to do the progressive Mm -hmm. draw. It's clearly the better way to do it, but logistically it doesn't work for the PPA for a variety of reasons. Uh, I laid out the financial in terms of what it means for uh, the instability of hotel rooms and the partnerships that they can create. But the other side that I don't think people uh, consider all the time is that the PPA is not this Goliath. It's not the NFL where they've just got these trees that they shake and money falls off. They're still building this thing. Uh, And one of the ways that they do that is to have a massive wraparound tournament uh, for the non-pros that generally, I believe, they try to push over a 1,000 people and can only have it the largest venues throughout the country. Um, You know, and as a tournament operator, anybody who's a play, you just do the math. You know, I mean, when you're playing $75, $80, $90 an event and then there's a 1,000, well, that's a big piece of the pie, but it also brings people there to experience the PPA um, and make it a festival-type concept and be inclusive of play at all all ages and all levels, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's smart. And, and, you know, so it makes sense from the spirit of the game, the inclusivity of the game, but also financially, which is absolutely why – they did it that way, but what the you know the PPA's problem now is that they opened Pandora's box and they showed the players what it can be with the Masters and doing it that way. They showed the viewers like you and I who like it better what it can be, and it's very difficult to dial it back because it was a we didn't know what we didn't know situation before. This is just the way it's always been, and we got to do it to structure the tournament this way. I don't like it, but I don't have a choice. Now they do, and they have a voice, uh, and they're using it. Yeah. So it's not a bad problem to have for the PPA. It just means that you know there's so much interest and there's so much evolution that they're going to have to figure it out, but they are going to have to figure it out uh, one way or the other. And yeah. I think the, the way that you do that um, more than likely is you split those two tournaments rather than it being a, a bracket and you're going to have to split that. So, you know, it's two tournaments. It might be at a different venue even. It might run mm-hmm. different days. It might, uh, I don't know. It's, you know I haven't yeah. really thought it out too much because it's not uh, something that's relevant to us, but, um, you know, it's going to have to change one way or the other. Yeah, and I think consistency for viewers and now, as you can see, consistency for your players uh, is something that they're looking for. So the PPA is going to have to determine what that consistency uh, looks like. Well, let's get on to the line call uh, this week. We've got Linda Vett, as we uh, talked about, and uh, John's going to lead us into the introduction. Uh, but by the way, Lynn was in the room during this, so um, I think you know there's a little bit of extra pressure there, but he nailed it. So uh, let's let's get after it. Settle in, relax. Give me a call. Just about line call time, and it is one of our own, one of our professionals and instructors and friends here at Performance Pickleball, Miss Lynn DeVette. See, you and I talked about this the other day, Lynn, and uh, everyone wants to say Lynn DeWett. 
uh, because that's the way it looks when you spell it out. But it's actually Lynn DeVette. I'm going to get her to expound upon that. But a little bit more about Lynn. She, of course, if you have been anywhere in Richmond and played at any of the courts, she is a name that people know. She has been instrumental in teaching and bringing the game uh, to groups of beginners through instruction. She's also a heck of a player herself uh, and just one of the OGs, as we call it, of pickleball in this region, in this area. And beyond that, uh, she is a remarkably funny person, intelligent person, and uh, has fantastic ideas and thoughts as uh, as I've come to know from talking to her, and that's why I'm excited to have her uh, here with us today. We welcome Linda. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here, Lynn. I appreciate it. What, a, what an introduction. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I paid him to say that. She <laughs> did. Yeah. Did you see it right out of the I, yeah. I, I saw you all over there. I didn't know what was going on. Okay, okay. Uh, well, again, thank you for coming on the show. And I, I want to begin with a little bit of, of John talking about the OG, uh, you know, one of the original folks to, to go – kind of head first in the pickleball. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the impetus behind that? Why was that something you thought was important for yourself and eventually making kind of a little bit of career out of it too? Oh, gosh, I can go back a little here. But um, I started coaching pickleball when I was working at another gym uh, here in Richmond at Short Pump. And a pandemic came along. Governor said, shut down all the courts. And so it wasn't really possible to coach there but in the meantime of the group that I had been coaching through about six or seven years they had been playing at Pouncey Track Park in Henrico and I would go there um, during the pandemic and they were like oh that's my coach that's the person who taught me to play and then before I knew what I had 30 lessons outside at the courts it was like just took off like two weeks and so um I have a great team of people around me, as in family. <laughs> and younger son said, Mom, I'll build your website. He's uh, got a degree in computer science from VCU. I said, OK, that sounds good. And so we sat down. And that was very informative for me to figure out how we collaborate and do this together. Long story short, I got overwhelmed um, pretty soon after that. When did I start that? Uh, 2022 round about March and before I knew what a year had passed I'd coached for nine months and when I looked back I'd done over a thousand paid lessons wow to that I mean I taught a thousand lessons but Mm. you know when you do six people in one lesson or you do two or three or one but right it was working out to about 25 lessons a week so you you can do up to or you'll sometimes do more than one person in a lesson is that what you're saying too like you'll have a group well, of people that you help? well in actual fact i find that's almost the best way to learn to play pickleball because it is a um, activity that we teach as a doubles game primarily mm-hmm. and so as soon as you put six or eight people together they're immediately starting to get to know each other and then they start with want to know where they play and how long what made you do this and um you know then the next thing they're best friends and then if you can keep them connected by referring them to a group where they can play in a round robin format or in a meetup group or a text group you want to get them connected to other people so they'll keep playing and meet other people and then have fun I mean, why else are we doing this? Have fun, right? <laughs> Absolutely. 
at the core, that's what we should be doing. Yes. All right, Lynn, I hate to have to do this because uh, I know you get it a lot, but obviously there's the accent and there's a lot <laughs> of confusion as to where the accent actually has its origin. It's South African. Um, but what I love about Lynn is she is like me. She has a biting sense of humor, particularly on the pickleball court, but she has the advantage <laughs> of whenever she says like, John, that shot made you look idiotic. I think it's a compliment. And I say, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a unique trait that's yeah. for sure uh, yeah i try to keep it on the milder side but <laughs> somehow i get away with stuff i believe that's what you guys tell me that i shouldn't usually get away with <laughs> yeah i love that um you know like you said over a thousand lessons paid lessons on the front end of what now is the pickleball craze you know it's everywhere oh. it's the most popular thing um we've got a live feature coming in unbelievably on monday morning cbs news uh here at performance pickleball uh, just to illustrate the point of how popular it's gotten what have you seen in terms of the demand uh from beginners you know i can't imagine it's decreased at all uh from that original period where you did that many lessons um yeah so um with regards by far the biggest uh, group of people, the niche market that I'm in is beginners. Um, primarily people between the ages of approximately 40 and 75. That's my core group. I have coached as young as eight years old and I've coached as old as 86. That's been the range. Wow. Uh, my favorites are those that have had their knee replacements I had one lady who said um, when I was in hospital they want to know what I would do after I had my knee replacement and she said please write I'm going to learn to play pickleball and I did I taught her to play pickleball and she now plays with her twin sons early in the morning at um, at Pouncey Track Park oh, and I see her there when I'm arriving at 6.30 in the morning for some people who want lessons that early all right, so I got to get to the meat of uh, Lynn's visit today. Not that we're not always thrilled to have her here at Performance, which she's dubbed her new happy place, which mm -hmm. makes me happy Ooh. because that's what we want uh, it to be for people. But uh, Lynn and I and Tyann and the rest of uh, our instructional program have a big announcement. We are about to, or we're announcing now, and we're about to roll out what we're calling Zero Zero Start, which is a two-week, six lessons with Lynn uh, on our courts program uh, for beginners. Um, that will start very soon, February 27th, um, and include a lot of different elements. And I wanted to give you the floor, Lynn, to explain, you know, where that begins, where it ultimately ends, what you've seen in terms of the friendships and connections it has created within those groups. Because to your point, Joe, it is not individual lessons. It's going to be groups of, of eight. Uh, going through that program, and, it, and it's really the, the tip of the spear, so to speak, for what we hope in terms of growing the game right here. Um, so the idea is that we would teach six lessons in two weeks, um, three in the one week and three in the next week, and um, have a round robin that they can enjoy and practice the skills that they've just learned. Um, it'll be a structured program working through all the basic fundamentals of what you need to do to be able to get on a court in a public facility to have the confidence to know that you can be a support, supportive pa partner for someone else um, and that you know the rules. <coughs> uh, so many times I'm hearing people who are coming into lessons say, oh, well, they were playing at this uh, park or something or the other and this person 
kept stepping into the kitchen and they didn't really understand that that was one of the rules and they won't know, well, how do I deal with that, you know? Mm. Um, so there's sometimes gaps in the knowledge about what people have in terms of the rules and also etiquette. What's common practice um, at different clubs or and mostly within the pickleball community? Um, the idea is that you'll have a good time, you'll make new friends, uh, that you'll be a little bit silly, <laughs> uh, that you'll laugh at my jokes. That's one of the requirements, that you bring your sense of humor <laughs> onto the court. See, Joe's in. Yeah. I'm in. I've already <laughs> passed the test. I wasn't even a joke. <laughs> that's, that's it's infectious. <laughs> actually one of the messages, uh, my, my first message that I send to people when they sign up, uh, what we will provide for them, but they have to bring the sense of humor. Mm. And that gets us off to a good start. Um, go through a little bit. Uh, I like to send notes after each lesson um, where I can. I include videos um, that I think support the information that we've just learned about. Um, and also uh, just help to support the work that's already gone on on the court the day before. And then every lesson has a quick review of what we've done before. We learn a new skill. And then we always try to implement that skill in that lesson for a, a little while. Hardest thing to do, learn how to score. Hmm. That is what people struggle with the most. So I try to attack that. In the first lesson, we already start that. And we're starting to play a mini game already. Um, the idea is to impart the right amount of knowledge for people that are learning without overwhelming them with too much talk, making sure that they get to hit a lot of balls and practice some of the stuff that they're doing and then give me feedback. I don't understand this or why, uh, what am I doing wrong here, you know? Um, and then when we've got a solid foundation, it's like a house, you wanna build from that. And then when they've got that foundation, then they can go to the next level, whether it be another um, series that we run uh, with me or other coaches. And then they go to an intermediate level after they've played for a while. The jump from one to two is not such a big jump, but two to three level, which is our more intermediate level, going to 3035, there's a big jump then. You don't just go and take a course and then you can do that. Mm -hmm. You actually have to execute and practice the stuff that you've learned in the first two. And then after that, it's up to you guys. You can teach the people that are the five O's. <laughs> that ain't up to me. Uh, <laughs> I can teach them how to drink a double. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I can't teach them how to play doubles. You can do that all, all afterwards. Um, <laughs> so I always say to people, you know, it's not bad to be mediocre. And to play a mediocre game is just fine. And it's also fine to win ugly. I don't care what to do, get that ball over the net. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, but I also say you don't want to get too good. By the time you get into four, five, and five overs, not so many people to play with. <laughs> ah, that's yeah. actually a good you point. You want yeah. to stay in that three, five, that's four, why I've range. plateaued. I told yeah, you, Joe. That's why I never play. I yeah. never train. Yeah. I'm just hovering that's somewhere there between three, five you and just like need four, one. Yeah, because you need more people to play with. And yeah. you, you never want to be a professional either. You have to travel all over the place, live out of a suitcase. Yeah. Who wants to I don't want to do, do all that. I do want to say I'm a professional, but it's never going to happen at this point. <laughs> <so>. uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, serious question, though. Like, So I don't even know if you know this in, in my origin. Um, 
and how we became, Renee and I came with, through the Ladybug Society to host our first event down at CTC, I was just Googling um, pickleball parks in the area to see if you could rent one, you know, for the course of the weekend. And uh, I called Ronnie, uh, or wound up calling Ronnie at Chesterfield County, uh, and she said, you need to talk to Linda Scott. And, <laughs> you know, rang Linda's actual house, and she had she didn't know me from Adam and picked up the phone, and I said, I have no idea what I'm doing, uh, but we are going to do a pickleball tournament and i met her in the parking lot at ctc um and she said do you have any idea how to run a pickleball tournament and she said it very sweetly because linda is a very sweet person yep, she uh, is. and i said no i absolutely do not but we hired someone who does um, which eventually became tyen but um Anyway, long way around to saying, uh, you know, through this, it's been so fun to get to know you and her and, and you know, some of some of the people, like say, we call the OGs, uh, but I say that with uh, the utmost fondness for you all. Um, you know, just where pickleball has come already in Richmond, where you see it going, um, and, you know, did you, think, did you think, could you ever have imagined there'd be this level of interest to the point of a facility like this uh, on this short a time frame? I have to tell you, it's absolutely astounding. <laughs> um, there's another coaches out there, Cindy Welch. Before the pandemic, a group of us, about 12 of us, were the sort of elite players that were playing at that stage. We would go out to Hanover, Parks and Recs, and someone would bring us all together. We had people from Northern Virginia, Fredericksburg, Louisa. I'd drive, drive an hour to go and play because this was good competition, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And... I just said to Cindy the other day, yesterday's heroes, we are not those top elite players anymore because this game has just taken off and everybody else um, has come into the game now, whether you're, uh, I see middle schoolers playing tournaments now um, and it's an amazing thing. And then I see, you know, the older generation uh, playing uh, tournaments with each other playing less tournaments, maybe playing some leagues. But I see this wonderful cross-section going from kids all the way through. So there's a huge range of people who are able to play the sport because of the type of sport that it is. Um, the way this has grown has been phenomenal. And I just think that this place and what's going to give to not just our local community, but we're setting a precedent for the state of Virginia not only state of Virginia, but many other places throughout uh, the US and maybe the rest of the world. Um, you know, I'm showing this to people in South Africa where I was just visiting in October and I'm telling them about this facility and they're like, wow, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. We thank you for finding in us um, the validity uh, in our motives for what we were doing. Obviously, the end of the day, we need to make money or at the very least break even. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it wasn't always that wasn't driven that way. It started with Lee uh, just fanatically becoming a pickleballer uh, after being so big into the tennis scene for so long like it did for you. Thank you so much for having me. I have to say there's always firsts in your life and this is my first, but I've thoroughly well, enjoyed no it. No one would have known that. We yeah, yeah, you crushed it. You did a fantastic yeah. job. And Definitely even if you hadn't, we would have been like, wow, she sounds very regal. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll be a repeat guest. I think we'll, I think we'll yeah, have you back absolutely. for sure. Sounds yeah. good. I don't know if I have anything more to tell you that's of great value, but anyway. <laughs> we, we ran out of things of great value to say after episode two, and here we are. <laughs> Still going. Very good. Thanks, Lynn. Thank so. you very much. 
As always, a big performance. Thank you to our guest this week, Lynn DeVette on the Stack Podcast. If you are in the building, you will most likely see Lynn around here uh, basically starting to plant the seeds of the next great pickleballer in the uh, Richmond area, the state of Virginia, or as she said, maybe even the world. Um, I mean, she does go to South Africa here and then, so it could be that as well. So really excited to have her on our team. We are truly appreciative of that. Um, I am appreciative of everyone's patience. I sent a newsletter update um, earlier this week, thanking them for that and their continued patience as we have rolled these things out. You know, I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten about, you know, when lessons and instruction, and it's just because they're chomping at the bit to get into the game, and I get it. And uh, you know, thank you for our patient, your patience with that. Uh, also, as we've continued to smooth out um, everything, really, mm-hmm. how we clean the courts, how we serve the food, how we uh, onboard members, how we do all of that stuff. But as it's, you can, I think you can hear a little bit more pep in my voice this week <laughs> than last week. Yes. Um, but this has been the week where you know we're still busy as all hell, and that's good. But it's becoming a good busy, and I'm starting to remember all the ways that we wanted to branch out, uh, whether it be here in the facility and beyond uh, regionally and ideas and conceptualizations we had for pickleball in general uh, and that we want performance to be more than a facility. We want it to first be a community, but we also want it to be one of the standard bears in the game. Um, And just to start talking about it again is exciting, let alone starting to do it, which we're also doing. Well, one way that you can join the conversation is on social media, PPBRVA on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. I, for one, am glad that John's in a good mood. It always makes my job easier. We hope I'm that always in a good mood. Well, you're you're no, exuding it more. No. I'll put it that way. I'm uh, in a real than, good mood. Than like <laughs> in a fake good mood. <laughs> well, hopefully that good mood is good for you, the listener <laughs> as well, and puts you in one or keeps you in one. That's always key too, uh, to stay in one if you find yourself in that position. Uh, and we're glad that we can contribute in any way possible. I was Have just about to give you the signal that I forgot one massive thing. And oh, it wouldn't be a show without it, one of those. Well, I've forgotten more than one, but I know that uh, <laughs> I've taken it too far for you. But um, – Monday morning, this coming Monday, the 12th, uh, performance is going to be featured on Virginia This Morning uh, on CBS 6, and we are going to be doing live segments here on Skechers Stadium Court 2, uh, where we're, some of our pros will be involved in terms of doing some demonstration uh, on the local news, Damn. but also... Um, Talking about the facility, talking about pickleball and all those things. So 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Virginia this morning uh, on CBS 6. Certainly watch if you can't make it, but we'd love to have a a boisterous showing of performance members here with us at the facility. Uh, Be a part of it. Uh, You know, make it really cool. We've obviously set up where plenty of people can watch and gather around the court Mm -hmm. and make it lively, and I'm sure CBS would love that too. I'm sure they would. Yeah, to see a a crowd at all would be Oh, uh, That reminds me, I need you to make a graphic to put up on the screen that says, welcome CBS. Got it. Okay. (laughs) I'll write it it down right now on our show notes. I got the logo. I got the email to send you nine hours Perfect. Hey, if you've already got the design assets, (laughs) I can do the rest. No problem at all. Uh, Great news. We hope you can be here. Uh, If not, don't worry. We'll have some some coverage of that. Oh, I forgot one other big Oh, wait. Okay. Yeah, no, I did. It's going to be falling this week. <laughs> this has really become a cluster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make my money today, that's for sure. Editing? Yes. No, I want this. It is. <laughs> this is good. Um, no, so I think I've been rumoring to people that we are going to have our own beer. 
yes. uh, here. Yes. And it is here. Like the oh, barrels are yeah. uh, going to be here tomorrow. Ooh. Uh, we are doing this uh, Kindred Spirit, which is an awesome local brewery. There's so many that we work with. But um, mm. Lee and his wife Margie actually have a personal friendship with the owners uh, of Kindred oh. Spirit. So that's how that relationship came about. But uh, it's going to be called Get Pickled Lager. Uh, we have John Lee at Whalehook and I have collaborated on a logo, which I love, which uh, looks like a slightly tipsy pickle, <laughs> pickleball player. Naturally. Uh, uh, but we are going to unveil that beer uh, with a party on Thursday, uh, the 15th. Okay. So a week from you hearing this at 4 o'clock, we're going to have live music. You'll be able to sample the beer. Uh, you'll be able to uh, talk to the brewers as to why they did that. Yeah. Uh, so 4 to 8 o'clock, and we'll have, of course, drink and, and food specials. But uh, I don't know. I've done a lot of research. I, I haven't seen another. And it doesn't taste like pickles, by the way. It's just a lager. I think that's it's gonna that come with a question. It's yeah. not a pickle beer. It's a pickle ball beer. Okay. Uh, it's a lager, but it's going to come with a pickle, a sphere, a pickle, pickle with it. And if you'd like to dip it in, which yeah. we did when we were taste testing and all those things, and give it a little pickle flavor, you can. Uh, but we're just excited, and then obviously the ideas flow from there, right? Yeah. So I thought of a house rule that if people want to agree to it, uh, and the game is being played under house rules, if one of the other team, one team pickles the other, uh, then that team is owed a round of get pickled lagers over at Kitchen RVA. That's only natural. And that just course, fits so well. I'm right. glad this is actually happening. All right, because close the damn show. I've been sure thinking about, about it for a while. Stuff, but I needed to get that hey, you know, there's always other ways we can we can add stuff later. I forgot one other thing. Welcome party tonight for the Caritas tonight as in Thursday oh, night. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Six to eight, Sloop John B. up top. Uh, grab your shirts, swag bags, and then we will have uh, food and drink special after that at 8 o'clock um, here, which is any uh, tap beer and flatbread or house wine for $10. Come down, warm up for Friday morning. That's a good tradition too, by the way, because I know people from the Pickleball Resolution, they loved having the welcome party. So uh, we'll keep that going. Well, we, nice. love, we love promoting our friends and neighbors too yeah. in Garland. Uh, Garland Taylor, who's a proprietor of Sloop John B. It's his birthday. Uh, well, yesterday, as we're recording, this is his birthday today. Happy birthday, my friend. Uh, they're getting the ball rolling up there. We're getting it rolling down here. Yeah. There's some big announcements coming from Regency too in the not-too-distant future about future tents. So we love supporting them. They love supporting us. Uh, and once the weather gets nicer might be some live music pickleball collaborations who knows yeah good deal man well thank you all so much for sticking with us through this one we appreciate it and uh look forward to you tuning back in next week wherever you listen to this podcast until then i'm joe he's john take it easy